Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Stay tuned to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, as we sit down with two students who have completed four years of seminary education. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is May 8th, 2012, and this is our 10th episode, and it's hard to believe that we've actually got to 10 episodes, but uh, we've been away for a couple weeks, finals week around the seminary. Everybody's getting a little crazy, including me. But we are back, and we do have in studio two students who have been through the craziness. They have done their time. They have experienced four years of seminary education. And we're going to be talking with these two men about their four years and the time that they've had here at Greenville Seminary, and not just about their time in Greenville Seminary specifically, but also what it means to be uh, called to the gospel ministry and to do the, the work and the labor and the preparation to be prepared for the gospel ministry. So in studio today, I do have two students who will be graduating, Lord willing, next week, and that would be Steve Walton, who was also the student body president, and Jim Stevenson. Uh, Steve Walton is a member of the PCA, and Jim Stevenson is in the OPC, so we're giving equal time to both denominations, as it were, today. So, Steve and Jim, it's good to have you here, and I look forward to our discussion. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Well, Steve, um, you were the student body president, and how long have you been the body, student body president here at Greenville Seminary? Well, I've actually served in that capacity for two years. In uh, my third year, um, just due to some various circumstances, we didn't have a fourth-year student who was uh, available or willing to serve, and um, I was available and I was willing, so I uh, took on that office, and after a year of it, um, I just stepped right back into it again. Um, partially because, and this, this may come up later in the conversation, but I had a fairly light course load my senior year, and I knew that if for no other reason, it might, uh, might be the, the right thing for me to do to take on the office so that one of my brothers who had a heavier course load wouldn't have to be saddled with that as well. Mm-hmm. And Jim, you, um, well, you weren't a student body president, but you cooked a lot around the school. Did some cooking, yes. Yeah, Jim and his wife, actually, uh, for those who do not know, um, and that would be most people listening, um, every spring and fall, they would do a, a breakfast for the student body. And, um, it's, in fact, today we had uh, what would be their last one as uh, the cooks, as it were. And uh, it's always been a good time for the students to get together and socialize and fellowship and always, always good food. So um, it's been a good time. Um, Jim, tell me a little bit about yourself, um, background, uh, what brought you to Greenville? Sure. I actually, going way back, I grew up in New York City. Um, my parents were saved when I was about the age of seven, and then we ended up in the OPC uh, in the suburbs of New York is where the congregation was. Uh, since then, going to college and after graduating college, my wife and I, we settled in the suburbs of Philadelphia, joined an OP church there, uh, was ordained and installed as a ruling elder there as well. Um, and even started considering, because of our proximity, whether or not I would start seminary. I was considering it. A seed was planted some 24, 25 years ago. 
Um, and so it started to really fruition a, a bit more. And But it seemed because of our proximity, we think we were going to have me start night courses at Westminster. But once geography was no longer an issue, and because of Greenville's strong emphasis on the preaching of the word, which, as our standards say quite clearly, it is through the reading and especially the preaching of the word mm-hmm. that is a means of convincing and converting sinners and so forth that I knew Greenville had to be on the map for me. And so ultimately I made this decision to come down to Greenville. And when when, when did you actually get here to Greenville Seminary? It was about February of 2008, and we chose to come down earlier, um, mostly to get acclimated to the area first, and then I would start in the fall. I got a job, got situated in the church, got comfortable with the surroundings. This way I didn't have to go through job training and get used to everything. Just start in the fall, already used to being down here. Great. Now, Steve, you also took a similar trek, but different as well. Um, I know, of course, a little bit about your background, but uh, our listeners certainly don't. So tell us about your background and what eventually, how the Lord led you to come to Greenville Seminary. Well, you know, uh, over the past four years, Jim and I have gotten to know each other fairly well, but one thing that uh, in our various conversations uh, I'd never realized was that the the whole idea of a call to the ministry for him had been something that was a long time coming. That's the way it was for me as well. Uh, as as many as 20 years ago, I remember having conversations with people about the ministry, and occasionally someone would encourage me that direction. Anytime I felt like someone was kind of urging me to prayerfully consider a call to the ministry, uh, I would do that. And I think before God, I can say that I you know, conscientiously prayed about that, but always came out of those experiences feeling that um, it wasn't what he was calling me to, at least not at that time. Uh, but then um, in 2007, my family and I were on vacation, and I read an article by R.L. Dabney entitled, uh, What is a Call to the Ministry?, I don't know people have varying opinions about the some of the some of his premises in that but that's what the Lord used to really uh, to push me over the edge and made me conclude that yes maybe not previously but now at this time I believe God is is redirecting the course of my life and calling me into ministry and so uh, my family and I almost immediately after that uh, began to take steps to get ready to move and come here to Greenville Now what were you doing prior to to being a student here at the seminary? Prior to becoming a full-time student at the seminary, I was teaching. I was a Christian school teacher, uh, taught at a um, fairly large Christian school, largest Christian schools go, uh, up in Asheville, North Carolina, and had been doing that for nine years. By the time I resigned my position, we moved. Hmm. And that's something you and Jim have a little bit in common as far as uh, the teaching aspects. So you were both doing that even prior to coming here and then being trained to teach in the gospel ministry itself directly. Now, Steve, you have some unique talents as well, um, some unique background that most probably don't know about. I, I, in fact, I didn't know about until just the other day. Uh, tell us a little bit about your music interests. Well, I, I'm a recovering musician. I, um, my undergraduate and, and graduate degrees are both in music performance. I started out as a music ed uh, major, uh, decided my real love was performance, and so I changed my major and was, was going all out uh, with everything I had towards a career in orchestral mm. performance. And then um, the Lord convicted me about the sanctity of the Sabbath. 
and that seemed to torpedo my aspirations for a performance career. Uh, uh, but um, at the time, uh, Dr. Piper was actually my pastor. That was in, I was in Houston in undergrad, and he was pastoring a church there in Houston. And he encouraged me uh, when I went to inquire. I asked him about, well, should I just change majors? Should I just because I don't see how this is going to work. I don't see how a person who really loves the Sabbath and wants to keep it holy can can survive, can can make a living in performance. I mean, it's hard enough if you don't have some kind of scruple right. like that. Yep. Um, he encouraged me to stick with it and to pursue excellence and and see if the Lord might not open doors. And um, and I did, and, and to a certain extent, he did open doors, and that's kind of the, the, some of the more um, complicated uh, aspects of my history. But I did—the Lord blessed me with a, a very satisfying career using the musical talents he gave me. Mm. Um, it didn't end up looking exactly like what I wanted it to or hoped it would earlier on, but uh, nevertheless, he— did give me opportunity to put those those gifts and talents to work. And just so those who may be wondering, our music uh, that is played at the beginning and the end of the podcast is a result of Steve Walton's labors um, and using his talents, and he's being modest as well. He was also a student at Juilliard as well. So um, just so you know, this is where he has come from. Uh, we had a possibility of a career in this area. God convicted him, convinced him that he had other plans for his life and brought him to Greenville Seminary. Jim, you are a school teacher in the public school system? Not quite. Not quite the public schools. It was an at-risk school, an alternative school. We got kids who were essentially kicked out of school districts for behavior issues or Mm -hmm. sent to us by juvenile probation. Now, it was a Christian-run organization, but by no means reformed. Um, but very delightful people to work with, but it was a job that eventually would wear on you just because of mm-hmm. the nature of the students and so forth um, and things like that. So I taught mathematics, high school math, pretty much all levels from pre-algebra all the way up through calculus. Um, and then after doing that, particularly for 11 years, I had the opportunity to go up and be camp directors at a camp that we were affiliated and when that didn't quite work out the way that it did, that was a Christian camp, by the way, um, we decided I started looking into seminaries. And really, it was going to be either between Greenville or Westminster. And then ultimately, it was just Greenville, just because of the emphasis on the preaching, the emphasis on being reformed and confessional. Mm, absolutely. Now, you both have families. Um, Steve, you have how many children? Two. And Jim? Four. And they came with you, of course, when you made the decision to move. And, and, and I'm certain there are people out there, and I can identify with this myself, though I didn't drag my children here. They were all adults when we decided to move down here to attend school. But you had to make that decision with that in mind. And so how did that play out? Let's start with Steve. How did you work through that, um, I don't want to say difficulty, but it's certainly a challenge? It um, it didn't take us long to figure out that we really needed to to relocate. We were we were only about an hour away to begin with, so there was the the option, I suppose, of commuting. Uh, but that would have been an awfully long commute, and it so happened that in the summer of '08 that's when the housing market was crashing and when the gas prices were going through the roof. So a one hour one way commute to mm. school would have been very very expensive, and when um, when I concluded, when my wife and I prayerfully uh, considered all this and concluded that the Lord was indeed 
uh, leading us to go to seminary, I had a conversation with Dr. Pipo on the phone, had some questions for him, wanted some advice from him on some various things. And one of the things I asked was, well, uh, should I consider the distance education thing as an option? His advice was just uh, bite the bullet and move down here. I'm glad he gave me that advice. I'm glad I did it. And, and I, think, I think being on the premises, having that immediate a face-to-face fellowship with the other students, having that immediate face-to-face interaction with the professors uh, is invaluable, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm so glad we did it. Yeah, I can identify with that completely as a former distance student and then relocating down here. Of course, I don't think we're saying anything in the negative camp about distance education, but there is a benefit and a reality to being on campus that you just cannot replace any other way. Jim, how about you? You had a same situation, wife, kids in tow, and you're coming from much further away. Yeah, we were coming immediately. We came from north central Pennsylvania near Williamsport, home of Little League World Series. Uh, but we didn't, at that point, we had housing on the camp. It was part of our, our job. We lived there on the camp. So geography was not an issue for us. And we had sold our place in the suburbs of Philadelphia to move there. And, uh, you know, the Lord was gracious to us in the providential timing of how that worked on our end because we sold at the height of everything. Mm. And we were so busy with our responsibilities at the camp that we never had the opportunity to sit down with a financial advisor to discuss what to do with the equity that we had made on selling the place. So while friends of ours were taking their money and investing into the stock market, all their money disappeared when when the stocks crashed. Ours was just sitting in a bank, and so we took that equity when we came down, put a nice size down payment on a place, and as a result, we're graciously, I mean, we're, we've got a nice low mortgage that's lower than a lot of people's rents. So. Now, you both, um, you both married, of course, and um, how did the decision to go to seminary, how, what role did your wives have jim we'll start with you what role did your wife have in the decision to go a lot of guys are going to go out to seminary and a lot of them are married um what role did your wife play well it was funny because um when we knew we were going to be leaving the camp at one point a uh, package from greenville seminary showed up (laughs) with a catalog and it sort of made her raise her eyebrows a little bit and i said well it's something i need to think about and consider and so Ended up first talking with my pastor about it, and then he gave me uh, Clowney's book on Call to the Ministry, uh, and also Letters of John Newton. There were a couple of letters in there, too. But, and it wasn't until I got to the last few pages of Clowney's book in particular that I knew that this is what I was supposed to do. So I read those pages to my wife, read them straight through to her, and she just said, you have to do this. This is what you need to do. It's obvious. And so uh, that just solidified it for us that we knew seminary was the direction I needed to go based on what my gifts and abilities were that God has given to me. Yeah, and the importance of having your wife on board. Um, it, it can't be, there's really no way you can measure that. I mean, that's a critical piece because it's really, you're in this together in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Um, the sacrifice that goes into being a student at seminary and the time away and the hours of reading and studying and that goes into it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Steve, how about you? How does your wife, how did your wife help you with that decision and, and all that went into it? 
Well, I can remember uh, even years ago, uh, from time to time, particularly, for instance, after I had gotten done teaching a Sunday school class, uh, one thing my wife has always been extremely uh, supportive of and encouraging to me about was my teaching. And when I would teach a Sunday school class, sometimes I remember uh, on on a number of occasions over the years her coming to me and saying, you know, you ought to be a pastor. <laughs> and... Um, you know, at the time, I just took it as a nice compliment. But, um, you know, she is one of the people who over the years has been kind of gently nudging me this direction anyway. And so when finally the decision came to, to go to seminary and pursue the ministry, she was already 100% on board. Um, and our boys, both of them, have been just wonderfully supportive. They're uh, in, in every good sense of the word, with all the things that we've been pursuing, they've just really been team players. You know, they, they roll with the punches. Uh, and I'm so thankful the Lord has really kept us close during these seminary years. And so it's it's been a, a tremendous blessing. Yeah, it's funny. You, you, you talk about your wife being already on board. And, 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 and the importance of having your wives um, behind you when you do this. It, not to not to minimalize or or downplay education in other areas, uh, going off to college and whatnot. Those are important things, and but there seems to be a certain element about seminary education that play that grabs at you a lot in a lot of different areas, not just academics. And having a stable support family, wife behind you realizing the 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 emphasis that's going to go into your educational um, pursuits is going to be pretty significant um, I remember as a, a many many years ago I was in my 20s um, so for those who don't know that's 20 over 20 years ago um, <laughs> but I, I was interested in the ministry and I, I had a pastor I respected uh, quite a bit and I drove eight hours through the night took my wife with me and I think we were married maybe three years, four years at the time. But anyway, we drove all night so I could meet with him at, in his office in Washington, D.C. And um, told him all my reasons for wanting to go to seminary and all this. And I uh, got all done with my 20-minute presentation, if you will. And he didn't say a word to me. He turned right and looked at my wife and asked her, so what do you think about him going to seminary? And I didn't get it at the time. I didn't understand what he was getting. I completely understand now, having been through a year, just how important that is that they're behind it. And they see it from every aspect, not just, um, not just, well, you're smart enough to do it, but there's other aspects there as well. It's a critical piece. So you guys got to Greenville Seminary. You were obviously attracted to it. You've done four years. What, um, in summary, on this particular topic, what's been your... Um, positive experiences we'll talk about those first jim why don't you summarize you know, your experience your time here for me from a positive perspective we'll talk about the negatives of course um, well there are quite a number of them um the ability despite the fact that you know the professors have office hours posted and those are the times you're supposed to go to them um i can't think of any time that out of the ordinary, if I happen to see a professor that I needed to ask something about or concerned about something or mm. anything like that, where I've knocked on the door, 
and they would welcome me in, even if it wasn't their normal office hours. Um, catch them in the hallway, whatever the case may be. Always willing to listen after class, same thing before class, in the hallway, on breaks, all of it. Um, just their willingness and concern and desire to, to share what they have for those whom they are teaching to prepare for the gospel ministry. Um, and that in and of itself is a model of the ministry. Uh, so they modeled what it is to be a pastor to help those who have questions or concerns on the moment. Um, so that's been a very big positive to me. Steve, how about you? <clears throat> well, I would second everything Jim just said about the professors, and I would also say, and I'm confident he would agree with me on this uh, as well, that I admire the professors because they are uh, academically strong and they interact and they confront with the the um interact with and confront all the liberal scholarship that's out there and yet they still love the scriptures and stand 100% unapologetically on the truth of the bible and mm. i've found that so refreshing because it's almost i think sometimes people almost have this foregone conclusion that you start dabbling in uh higher criticism and, and all, the, all the things that liberal scholarship has going on in it, that you're just going to get sucked into that and you end up not believing the Bible and end up not you know, kind of discarding um, this or that aspect of your theology. But these, these men, they, they take uh, liberal contemporary scholarship head on and they emerge from it still just as committed to the truth of the Bible mm. as before. And uh, and so they know what the other people are saying, and they can explain it to us, and they can show us why it's wrong. And I love that. And uh, challenge us to think through it exegetically. What do they say about this text? What do they – tell me, what, what do you think of their argument? And forcing us to think both exegetically and theologically about those things. Absolutely, because those are things you're going to be hearing from other people later on. I, w I would suspect um, dealing in, in churches and ministry, uh, people are going to ask questions, and if we need to have those answers, the best of our ability, anyway. And and I would agree with you, although I'm just a lowly first year guy. Um, I look forward to some of those classes. I think I know who you're talking about specifically on one of them, um, and I look forward to those challenging moments where you, know, you feel a little threatened, almost uncomfortable, because wow, I, I've never had to deal with it this way. Um, before, um, and that's good. Steve, how have you changed as a Christian? Let's we'll start with there. How have you changed as a Christian after coming to seminary? That's a tough question. Um, I had a pastor describe the uh, progressive sanctification process once as, um, as driving on a kind of a long, winding, up-and-down road from a certain elevation up to a higher elevation. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't sense that you're going up, but overall you, you are as the Holy Spirit works on you and, and as, uh, as you continue to diligently use the means of grace. <clears throat> um, I think probably, just to mention one tangible thing, I think I've probably been more diligent and more faithful in leading my family in worship mm. since we came to seminary than I've ever been in my life. And I say that by way of encouragement to, to listeners and anyone else, um, because uh, 
for a long time, my experience with family worship was just one of fits and starts, you know, getting going and then, and then getting out of the habit and trying, struggling to, to reestablish that. Um, that's one thing that's been a real strong point uh, since coming to seminary. And I'm sure being here had something to do with it. What would you think, being at seminary, how how has being here encouraged that area for you? What Can you think of any specific thing that has helped you become more focused in that zone? Well, I'm sure there are a number of things. But one very definite piece of that puzzle is that um, with all the demands of seminary life, and the different directions, different members of our family are being tugged all the time, I knew we needed to make sure that that was something consistent in our life because that was going to help keep us, mm. you know, uh, tight as a family, so to speak. And uh, we've, we've all, I think, come to, to just expect it. Um, and uh, it's something we look forward to by and large. And so I think that's part of it. I think it's, it's been something that has helped... Um, help keep us close. That's good. That's really good. Jim, how about you? What In what ways have you become a better Christian? If well, you... I would echo a lot of the things that Steve said, and I would also add to that um, just a, just an increased love of Christ's church, mm-hmm. um, serving his people, working with them, coming alongside them. I serve at the session down here at the OP Church. Um, so it is a joy to work with people, work with the session here as well. Um, you really do understand uh, the needs of the people that way. And so as I'm going through my training for gospel ministry, I'm still working alongside already trying to put some of those things into practice. Mm. Um, and then also just the, um, just the love of worship uh, the corporate worship coming before the throne of grace mm. um, and the strong emphasis and also the growth in my view of the Sabbath as well. Not so much a list of do's and don'ts, which of course that is certainly there, but just eliminating those things that would prevent me from calling the Sabbath a delight. Mm. Um, even if you put aside whether or not you think it's right to turn on the TV Sunday afternoon, uh, just put that aside and you just think, is this preventing me from calling the Sabbath a delight? And if yes, you know what? Cut it out. That's interesting. I, I remember a conversation I had with a, an associate pastor of um, a church that I was in prior to moving, and, and we were talking about the Lord's Day, and we were talking about whether we should study seminary students to study on the Lord's Day. And I'm sure there's differing opinions as to the answer to that, and he strongly encouraged me not to. He said, that's your work. This is what you're engaged in the other six days of the week. And, and you know, if you can't get your work done in those six days, then you need to reevaluate your schedule. But uh, it was in, he'd encouraged me not to and, and to take a break from that and, and, and delight in the Lord's Day, as you were saying, in other ways, in, in, in ways that aren't, don't have the pressure of a deadline and a paper due and all this other stuff that goes along with it. It, being in seminary, there, there's varying opinions out there as to seminary education in general. Um, I, I've heard co- people comment about seminary being a cemetery. You know, people come here and then it ends up as dead orthodoxy. Would, that, would you say that's your, your experience here, a I dead orthodoxy? Definitely and categorically not. How about you, Jim? Uh, unquestionably 
not a true statement of the seminary. Uh, the emphasis here on experimental Calvinism and the glorifying of God through all of what we do, um, just bringing to bear what we know about God's sovereignty and glorifying him through that. There is no dead orthodoxy in the halls of the seminary. Mm, that's good. And I was hoping you were going to go there with this idea of the ex- experimental Calvinism. When you say that, um, a lot of people might, they might know the phrase, but what do you mean by that? Well, there actually, because I'm one of the moderators along with you on the Facebook page for Greenville, I found an article from one of our board members, Ian Hamilton, who'll be down here soon, next week, in fact, on what experimental Calvinism is. So check out the Facebook page, read, read his article. It's actually a good summary of it. But just a very brief, I know it's somewhat superficial, but it's a recognition that the Calvinistic doctrines that we hold dear are intended for us to glorify God Mm. and to worship Him accordingly because of those things. And then also, of course, how that flows out of our lives, knowing that God has all things in His hands, and that therefore we can go forth in whatever vocation we Mm. may have. That's good. Yeah, and Jim did mention the Facebook page for those who do not know, and I mean, shame on you if you don't know this, but... Um, if you don't know, we do have a Facebook page, Greenville Seminary. Um, just search for it. It's it's relatively easy to find. And if you can't find it for whatever reason, um, I mean, if you use Facebook, you should have no problem finding it. But if you can't find it for whatever reason, you can email me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu, and I will help get you there uh, rather quickly. Um, but check it out, and it, we usually post good resources on there from time to time, information as well. So um, I'm glad Jim reminded me of that. Uh, various resource. What, um, gentlemen, what have been some of the struggles of being a seminary student? And I know there's struggles because I'm one and I'm only in the beginning and there's struggles. You guys have been through four years, so we don't have all day for you to list every struggle, of course, but I'm sure there's been some. Well, Steve, how about you? What, what have been some of the struggles? Well, I think part of it, and this is not unique to seminary, but part of it has been that if you're studying for a class, preparing for an exam, trying to tweak a paper and, and, and get it just the way you want it, um, you never feel that you've quite done enough. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got a lighter load in one semester, you might think, ah, I'm really going to be able to, to study hard and cover everything in these courses because I'm only taking X number of hours or this many classes. But it never quite works out that way. And um, I can't explain exactly why, but we, you're always going to feel that, that you could have done more, maybe should have done more. Uh, so that's been a struggle, and I, <clears throat> and I suspect that that is uh, common to, to all of us here. And another thing that I'm sure we all share is just the struggle of balancing your time. And I, I say that uh, with reference in particular to the, to the guys that are married and have children. Um, you know, God forbid that we come here and just throw ourselves into our studies and neglect our families. But it's, uh, it's difficult at times to, to really say, okay, I've got to put this down. I've just got to spend some time with my kids. Mm. Yeah, and knowing when, and knowing when those, that breaking point is and, and being sensitive to it. And we kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier about our wives will often let us know. They may not say it directly, but there's other ways they let you know. Um, if your wife is wives are like mine, um, there's the subtle t- subtle hints that you're spending too much time in that book, and you know what about 
the family and, and those kinds of things. Jim, what about you? What kind of struggles have you found, particularly during these four years? I would say the balancing of the time mm. is where the mo- most difficult thing is. But uh, at the same time, it's been a good discipline, too. It's, it's been both a struggle and yet at the same time a good discipline. And that in and of itself is a good preparation for the ministry, um, finding the time to spend with the kids. And, you know, we sacrificed a lot to come here, be, worldly speaking. Um, so toward the end of the year, finances will get tight and difficult, and you start eating beans and rice a lot more. And you learn creative ways to make beans and rice. Um, <laughs> but it's a joy nonetheless, and... Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything, despite those difficulties. Yeah, you reminded me of um, a conversation that another student had with um, Dr. Tony Curto, which you've all had and I've had, um, where they were bemoaning the fact that they were so busy and didn't have enough time to do X, Y, and Z. And he just said, do you think it's going to get easier after you get out of here? It's just you're just going to trade one busyness for another set of busyness. Uh, good busyness, I don't think we're, we're using that term in a negative sense, but the, the good kind of busyness, if there's, if, yes. you, if you'll accept that way of explaining it. But um, I think he's right. I think he, he m- makes a very good point that, um, and as you said, this is good training and learning to manage our times well, not procrastinate. I think that was the first sermon we heard last fall from Dr. Piper about not procrastinating because you never know what tomorrow's going to hold. You think you've got tomorrow, but you Maybe you do, and you might not. Something may happen, and then that time you thought you were going to study for that final or that test or that quiz or that paper is gone, and now what are you going to do? So I think that's very helpful. Steve, if you were to, if you had a room full of people right now at, and you were able to speak with them, men who are considering seminary, what would your advice be to them? Men who are considering seminary yes. specifically, or men who are considering the, the ministry. Well, yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Um, and I didn't mean to derail you there. Oh but no, no, I, that's fine. When it, I it, when I was getting ready to come, I I sat down with my pastor and my associate pastor mm-hmm. and asked them about it, and they both concurred that hey, it's going to seminary is great, but going to seminary is different than being called to the ministry. You can anybody can benefit a lot from going to seminary if you've got the time to do it. Um, you can learn a lot and be very edified and and be made more useful in Christ's kingdom. Um, so I guess um, I would need to make I would make a distinction between those two. Yeah, well let's let's do that. Let's uh, say you have a a room full of men who say, "Hey, look, I think God wants me in the gospel ministry, and I'm interested. I'm seriously considering uh, exploring those options." Uh, what would you say to them? I would say that's not a decision they make unilaterally, and I'd strongly encourage them to uh, look for the confirmation of that call from the church. Hmm. I think that's critical, because you hear all the time about guys who say they have a call, they sense a call, maybe they go to seminary, maybe they go into the ministry, and then they end up out of the ministry, or they end up... uh, uh, totally destroying a congregation because they're doing something that that the Lord Jesus hadn't really called them to do. Mm. Jim, how about you? What would you say? Along the same lines, they really need to um, talk to people that they truly respect and know, um, primarily their own session. 
and even church members that have maybe heard them speak or just informally discuss theological things, do you see that I have the gifts requisite for gospel ministry? That in and of itself is not a call. Even the so-called sense of an internal feeling Mm. is not in and of itself a call. Ultimately, those are all steps to the means, and then ultimately, uh, when they receive an official call from a congregation and the presbytery approves, there's your final confirmation. So here I am graduating in my fourth year. I don't have an official call yet. All the things seem to be leading up to that at some point, but it's not just simply, hey, I feel like I'm called to the ministry. I'm going to go to seminary. Well, it's a little bit more involved than that. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I was speaking with um, uh, Pastor Tom Ellis, who you both know, of course, and you mm-hmm. see him here. And he was, he served as a minister for 30, 40 years, um, both in OPC and PCA congregations. He was a member of the PCUS before it went completely south, forgive the term. And um, <laughs> and he he was talking about that very thing that you were just talking about that a lot of guys think they're called to the ministry and they may be but they will never know that they were called to the ministry until they're called to actually pastor a church then they can definitively say god called me to this work um because other people have identified that but there's training that goes involved with a person who senses the idea says hey look you know i really Think I, I think I'm called. I've talked. I've done that. I've talked to my session. They agree with me. Uh, other members of the church have seen me teach Sunday school. Have seen me uh, exhort congregations from time to time, and believe that there's gifts requisite for that work. Um, and there's a difference of opinion out there in, in our modern age about seminary education, and that's just the reality of it. People think, well, you just don't need it. You know, just you and your Bible and the Holy Spirit, and that's good enough. But here. Um, we, I think all three of us would agree that that's not enough in the sense that we need to be trained and focused. Why would you, and we'll start with Jim on this question, and this is going to sound like a PR announcement, but I don't mean it to be that way, but um, by the nature of things, it's going to sound that way. Why would you, there's, there's a lot of seminaries in the United States, mm-hmm. many good ones. Why would you say, if you were to, if, if a young man was to come up to you and say, I'd like to go to seminary. Where do you think I should go? Other than the fact that this is where you went. So I'm asking to be get out of the subjective box a little and kind of move into an objective box. Why this seminary? Why would you say go to Greenville? Well, I'll tell them the reason based on why I came here. You know, I can get some solid reformed instruction at a, any number of seminaries across the country. But for me, when I recognize the fact that the minister's primary task is the preaching of the word, that's what it always boiled down to me. If you are seeking to be a pastor and you seek to be a minister of the word, the emphasis on the experimental preaching here at Greenville is top-notch. And that's, that, to me, was the deciding factor. Aside from the fact I didn't know, even coming down here, their views of creation or their views of the Sabbath or how how far they went with that, but it was that emphasis. I knew they were reformed. I knew I would get Calvinistic teaching, but it was that emphasis on the preaching of the Word that did it for me. Mm. Steve, what about you? Well, apart from my own personal experience and, and some of the personal reasons why I came here, I would I'd pretty much take that same tack that Jim did. 
I think um, what the church needs today, what the church desperately needs, is uh, men who will preach the word. And that's the focus here. It's not that, well, of course, Greenville Seminary offers a Master of Arts in Theology, and we have other degree programs, uh, programs for ruling elders and deacons as well. Um, but the main emphasis, the, the, the real focus here is, is preparing and training preachers, pastors. That's what the church needs, and that's really um, what this seminary is about. And so that's, that's why I would encourage someone to come here. Do you think after four years you got that, Steve? You think that's you, you feel like you're, God has moved you closer to that goal? Yes, I'm glad you put it that way closer because you know it would be it would be uh foolish mm-hmm. for me to walk out these doors and say I'm totally ready. <laughs> I'm totally you know, but more equipped. Absolutely. Certainly. Yeah, without a question, without a doubt. Um yes, that's that's that was their goal and I think uh at least in my case and I could say in Jim's case too, uh, they've accomplished that goal. They've they've prepared us to the extent that they can and uh and the the Lord Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. He's going to guide us through our ministry mm-hmm. too. And there'll be some hard knocks and uh, learning along the way. Never stop learning. That's right. But I believe they have uh, made a good faith effort to equip us, to teach us, to prepare us to go out and serve in God in God's kingdom as ministers of the gospel. How about you, Jim? Do you think you're more equipped than you were maybe before you got here? I would say I'm more equipped. Yes. I mean. Just the mere fact that now I've got a handle on the languages mm. or even an aspect of the fact that maybe if I forget a word or how to parse a word, I know how to look it up and figure things out. Uh, so along those lines, I'm better prepared. But it's ironic because next week, you know, Steve and I will graduate and we'll have this degree called Master of Divinity. And yet in this life, I will never master divinity. Amen. Um, mm. So it, it, it's just kind of ironic that we we get that degree and yet until the other side of glory we won't ever master it kind of reminds me of um my first when i was a distance student and i went to my pastor after my first semester and i said you know i thought this was going to be kind of well i read all of these books and i thought well this will be you know i'll breeze through this first year i said you know the longer this year goes the stupider i feel Mm-hmm. Very humbling experience, yes. and it kind of goes into what you're saying. Well, I, I have this degree, but I don't feel like I've mastered anything yet, um, and you're right. And But I think the emphasis of, on preparation, giving the tools needed to do the job, I, I don't know why there is this, this attitude or mentality out there so in some sense that well, we wouldn't go to a doctor or a lawyer or another professional, if you want to use that word, for any kind of serious matter. Without mm-hmm. them knowing they've been equipped and trained and taught to deal with that. But when it comes to the souls of people, it doesn't seem to matter. And that just seems so backwards to me. Rightly dividing God's word. And I think you both would agree that a lot of the problems in the churches is because people don't rightly divide God's word. And I say divide, I don't mean divide like cut up into pieces. I mean divide like give out correctly, in part mm-hmm. correctly, that information. Yeah, the people have low expectations of their preachers, and those expectations are met. <laughs> yep, that's a good way to put it. That might be on a bumper sticker somewhere. Uh, maybe Twitter. <laughs> anyway, all joking aside, 
Well, you guys have come to the end of your road here, your time. Certainly, we don't have time to get into every nuance of every class you've ever experienced. I'm sure you've had good classes, bad classes, times classes you wish probably I probably didn't need that, classes that you wish you could have twice or taken twice. Maybe you did take twice. Um, but now you will graduate, Lord willing, next Friday. Um, and for those who do not know, our commencement services are May 18th at 7 p.m. here at the, uh, at the seminary. Um, it's usually well attended, and there's a banquet. Well, banquet. There's a fellowship. What do you call it? Reception. A, a reception. No reception. reception. Right. These are upperclassmen. <laughs> I count on them to bail me out when I can't figure out the word um, afterwards. So if you are in the area, um, drop in and, and see these men um, graduate. Um, I'm sure it would be an encouragement to them. But now that you're at the end of this road, what does God have in store for you now, Steve? We'll start with you since I know tangibly – what it seems the Lord's leading you to do. Um, Yes, uh, we believe the Lord has has directed us to go overseas uh, in kind of a unique uh, ministry situation. Um, This didn't come up earlier, but I do have a background in the Army as well and was stationed in Germany for a period of time for several years. That's where my wife and I met. That's where we got married. And so what we're planning to do is go to Germany and plant a church specifically for the purpose of of ministering to and providing a church home for U.S. military personnel serving overseas. Mm. And as uh, a former overseas military person, I know the blessings and the benefits of having a church home, not uh, being completely uh, reliant upon the chapel for any ministry of the word or for any Christian fellowship. Uh, To quote Forrest Gump, the the chaplaincy is kind of like a box of chocolates, and you never know what you're going to get. And if Mm -hmm. you got something good, it might not, it won't last because they're going to rotate out just like everybody else does. But if you, um, we did have a church home when we were in Germany, and it was such a blessing to have uh, a a spiritual family when we were that far away from our home country. Um, And so that we we know experientially the blessings of that but we also know that it wasn't a reformed church and so we kind of missed that and 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 that was kind of a uh, something that was absent and and what we want to do is go over and establish a reformed church uh, a biblically faithful christian church to be a home and a haven mm-hmm. to u.s mm-hmm. military people serving overseas so it will be an english-speaking church uh, but that won't stop us, Lord willing, from reaching out to other English-speaking people there, including Germans who are fluent in English. We had some of those in our church in uh, in Germany years ago, and I anticipate uh, reaching out to them as well. Sounds good. Jim, how about you? Well, I'm committed to the OPC. Um, until I actually get a call, I'll still continue to serve as a ruling elder in the session of the church here. Um, I've had preaching opportunities. I know uh, probably four or five presbyteries very well. So I have a good feel for where things are going. I've had my information passed on to a couple of church plants scattered throughout the country. It helps knowing most of the men in the front office of the denomination um, and to know that they're also working with me and gunning for me as it will uh, in in various aspects. But um, you know, wherever the Lord would have us, uh, you know, we are very much eager to get out there and serve Christ's church in whatever capacity he would have us, hmm. wherever that may be. That's good, and I commend you for your willingness wherever. Um, I remember somebody somebody asked me one time where I'd 
and I think we've all had probably faced this question at one point or another. You know, what would you like to pastor someday? You know, it's the million dollar question. If we all knew the answer to that, it would be nice. And 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 I guess I just said, well, I'd like to think that I w- will want to pastor wherever God puts me. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that sounds like a pious answer. Um, the truth is, I'd like to pastor near where my parents are because they're older, and I think that would be helpful to them. Um, but the reality is that I don't know. I haven't got a clue what's going to happen at the end of my time here, which seems like a very long time away from now. Um, but talking with you two guys is encouraging to me on this side because I see that you've got to the end of this road at least, and then you survived. You look like you're still intact. Um, if you could, in, in, in you know, wrapping things up a little bit, if you could say anything to your professors who, by the way, probably listen to this, um, what would you say? Jim? Hmm. Well, I would probably say something different to each of them, but the one thing in common would, of course, be thankful, uh, thankfulness to them and just expressing thankfulness for their willingness to serve in this capacity where you know, I mean, truth be told, they can make more money teaching the same thing at other places. Mm. But their their commitment to reformed orthodoxy and their willingness to serve, just in general, um, just I can't say enough to to thank them for all that they've done in preparing us. Steve, I would think the same. If if I had to reduce it to one word, it'd just simply be a a, a sincere thank you. Uh, they do make sacrifices to be here. Um, it is uh, does involve some self-denial. They could be teaching someplace else, they could be pastoring, and probably living a little bit more comfortably doing either of those things. And one of the things I continue to pray for the seminary is that God will bless it financially, mm. enable the f- seminary to compensate the professors more generously. Um, and uh, But you know, I just think I can speak not only f- for Jim, but for, the, for, for my uh, classmates in the graduating class we love our professors and we're very thankful for them yes and 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 as steve said they do um they see the big picture i think Mm -hmm. you know i've only been here a year um but i think they they see the big picture um kingdom building picture it's not a year it's not a focus on just this year or next year but it's it's generational it's long term how it's going to impact the church and you're right they they could be making probably more elsewhere, doing other things and using their resources that way. But they see this as a the most important way to use their resources, and they're putting into us um, those experiences, those that that academic information, um, modeling by the way they live um, before us how we ought to take that to the church, and then teach others and serve. In that capacity gentlemen do you have anything else you want to say um it's hard to pack four years of time into what an hour of conversation um and i know through the years coming up you'll reflect back on these four years um with fond memories of things yeah, maybe some bad ones as well <laughs> truth be known but but the fact is that it, um it is difficult to try to pack four years of theological training um, into an hour conversation. Mm-hmm. 
Steve, any final thoughts? I can't really think of anything. I know that when I first came down here, like Jim, I was a school teacher. I came in thinking I was going to do okay in seminary because if I just did all those things I'd been trying for all those years to get my students to do and followed my own advice with respect to that, I figured I'd, I'd do just fine in seminary. And I got here and realized uh, I wasn't nearly as smart as I thought I was. Came down with a little bit of uh, academic uh, self-confidence, I think, that was uh, shaken and shattered pretty rapidly. Um, but to, to my fellow students who are going to be around another year or two or three or to potential students looking at coming in, um, just humble yourselves and, mm. and learn and rejoice in it. Yeah, it reminds me of an article I read about how um, in the thick of the semesters, which you've all been through many times, it's easy to lose focus of the goal. Because you're 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 mired in the in the the, the sea of despond, trying to get papers done, everything's going on, and um, and I, and I think it was Warfield that basically pressed this point home to me that what are you grousing about? You get to study theology in, mm-hmm. in God's Word every day. What a privilege! Mm-hmm. And a lot of people out there who would love to be able to do that, and they can't. They don't have the time. They don't have the. They're just not in that state. God has put you there. It's a privilege to be able to do that. Um, Jim, what about you? Final thoughts? Yeah, along those lines, like you said with Warfield, it is. It has been a privilege to be able to learn and study these things. I came into the seminary already an ordained ruling elder, thinking you know I've got a pretty good handle of the Mm -hmm. Reformed faith, and you know there was nothing that was overly brand new in one sense, but it was also, there was so much depth to it, that what we were being taught in all of our classes and relating it all to the ministry, you had to walk out of class and just stop and let it sink in for a while. Um, so there's, so yes, as what Steve said, if my fellow students are out there who are moving up the ranks uh, this year, yes, humble yourself, because you you, you will never ever plumb the depths of what is out there with respect to the Reformed faith and the depth of knowledge that the Scriptures can give you. Well, that's well said, and I want to thank you guys for taking the time. I mean, this is a difficult week for most. They call it reading week around here, but uh, I don't know. It sounds to me like they should rename it to more like final exam preparation week, but be that as it may, um, I know you guys are, uh, this is your last reading week. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how many finals you both have, but I'm sure you have some to prepare for. And so I thank you for taking the time. I know personally I will miss both of you. Um, um, I'm losing uh, – uh, what's the right word? I'm losing um, a fellow Yankee baseball fan. Okay, for those who are confused, Yankee as in not Northern, but Yankee as in baseball. Um, but Jim is an avid a New York Yankees fan, as am I. Those who've listened to me for six years or or more um, do podcasts of this nature know this already, and I usually get joked uh, badly about it. But this time, I'm in safe. I'm in a safe place um, on this broadcast. But I will miss both of you very much, um, and I thank you for your willingness to be candid, even um, talking with me about this, and for your time here today um, on this pod, on this broadcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you for your work, Bill. Thank you, guys. Well, you've been listening to an interview, a discussion, candid discussion, um, 
uh, three men just sitting around a table, literally, um, talking about what it's like to be at seminary, uh, things that go into bringing one to seminary, and you know some of the ups and downs of seminary life and, and how it impacts family and, and, and their Christian life and their walk with the Lord. And so I hope you've enjoyed um, this discussion. And if you're thinking, seriously, thinking, you know, maybe, maybe this is something that I would like to do. I, I have an inward sense that maybe God is leading me to do this very serious task. Um, as these men have said already, if that is something that you're thinking about doing, and your first step after serious prayer and consideration would be to talk with your pastors, your elders, and uh, get their sense of what you're thinking and see how they, you know, how they feel about where you're at. Um, if you get to that point and they encourage you to go, um, we would think, hope that you would consider Greenville Seminary um, for the reasons you've heard today, and I'm not going to restate them. But if you want informa- more, more information about the seminary, you can visit us at gpts.edu. That's GPTS for Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Dot edu, and there's a plethora, a ton of information right there on the website that will answer just about any question you have. If you have more questions, you can contact us at the website. Uh, there's a phone number there as well as an email address. If you have questions about the podcast, you can contact me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. Now, coming up this week, I have two more podcasts to do. Tomorrow we'll be talking with Sean Lucas. I'm not really quite sure at this point what the topic is, but I'm sure I'll figure it out by tomorrow. And then Friday we'll be speaking with Andy Webb. He's a pastor out at Fayette, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and he was also a conference speaker at this year's Spring Theology Conference. And we'll be talking with him about his conference topic on the issue of church history. So I look forward to that discussion. So until then, we do thank everybody for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary.